0: Today's guest is Graylin Porter, a world-lit major with a master's in modern and contemporary literature turned children's librarian who is expecting a new addition to her family very, very soon. Hint, it's a baby. Graylin shares a peek behind the librarian curtain with us, sharing the struggles of keeping a children's section stocked and what she will miss most about the library when she leaves her position later this year. We talk about our favorite genres, like the genre Graylin's book club knows they can always count on her to read first, consistency in reading, and trying to get more nonfiction in our reading lives, let's get to it. Graylin, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Now you are right across the river from me in Indiana, and are you currently working as librarian, or is that your past life now?
1: I am. I have three weeks left before I leave. For oh my good.
0: gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're pregnant with baby number one, right?
1: Yes. What's in February? Date? Uh, well, in four weeks from now, February twentieth. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, big big change for me. <laughs> you, to say the least.
0: Yeah. Are you going back to librarianing? What's the verb? I
1: about? am not. I am leaving for good. So it's it's bittersweet for sure. I'm very sad. I love it so much.
0: As you look wistfully back on your librarian days, can you tell us like I'm I've never been a librarian. I'm fascinated by the whole field. Hey. How did you get into that and what does your day to day job look like at the place you ended up landing professionally? He-
1: Right. It's um. It was a long and winding road. I actually don't have a degree in library science. I have a master's in modern and contemporary literature. I applied um, in the county schools in Indiana where I work. They don't require a library science degree to be an elementary librarian. Mm. Um. I have a supervisor who has that degree who's over all the schools. So. Um, I applied and got the job randomly about five years ago. Um, I absolutely love it. And I've always had a passion for children's books in particular. I was homeschooled myself until the eighth grade. I was almost about to do my master's in children's lit, but then changed my mind. So,
0: What does your day-to-day look like as a librarian? Because as a parent and then as a kid who used yes. to be in elementary school, the only action I saw you know, of the librarian at work was helping us find books and doing story hour what right. what else did your job consist of
1: right um well that that's a big part of it um i read every single class i read for half the time and then we check out for the second half and but i am in total control of buying all my books for the library and and managing the collection which is my you know all-time favorite part of the job <laughs> for sure is to buy books on somebody else's dime um and I do a lot of weeding out old materials, um, especially nonfiction. It, it, nowadays, the nonfiction is just, you know, it's outdated as soon as it comes out, I feel like. Oh,
0: interesting. I see
1: Yeah. That. So um, the constantly working with that.
0: What do you anticipate missing most when you put your library days behind you?
1: I anticipate... Missing most the kids and reading my favorite books to the kids. So the past few weeks, um, I've been reading, you know, all my favorite ones. I love reading just so I can do it one more time. Like the giving tree, I love mm. reading that book out loud. I really and... don't like that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, you know, it's just heartbreaking. It's so, it's just devastating. But uh, for some reason, the kids just, they're so captivated by that. I mean, you could hear pen drop any age. Yeah. Because we're kindergarten through fourth. And so I read it to all the, the grades and um, they all interpret it a little bit differently. But I really will miss reading those favorites out loud. Yeah.
0: What are some of your other favorites?
1: It's It's funny because some of my favorites don't read aloud very well oh interesting I realized, yeah I realized that when I first started working there. Is Eloise is my all-time favorite book ever like I didn't put that down as one of my favorites because I felt like that was a little silly but um <laughs> it is one one of my all-time favorite books but it is so long and so just all over the place that it does not translate to read aloud at all a lot of new of the newer books do. Um, I don't know if you've heard of John Klassen's books. I want my hat back and yes, my hat. those are fantastic. Those read aloud so well. Um, all of Mo Willems' books mm-hmm. read aloud so mm-hmm. well. And then I'm a big sucker for illustrations. Like it has to be a beautiful book or I'm not going to read it mm-hmm. <laughs> out loud. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Now, I realized you're going through two big transitions at once that are greatly going to affect your life and your reading life. Yes. So yes. you're leaving your job as a professional book person and mm. you're having a baby, but baby aside, we can do that, right? Right. Hypothetically. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> what are you looking forward to changing in your reading life when you are no longer a professional book person?
1: Right. I was reading what I put down in the form, and it said, I want more consistency in my reading life, which is, I realize now, okay, that's so silly. That's like the wor- last thing that I need to wish for with a baby. <laughs> um, but um, I tend to be kind of a binger, like I'll read a lot, and then I, I'll take a week or two off, and then I'll read a lot. Um, but honestly, I would like to read a little bit more nonfiction. Um I, I don't read enough nonfiction at all.
0: Is that a professional hazard?
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah, I think so.
0: Well, I'm very curious to hear your favorites. Is a okay. what did you say? Modern and contemporary fiction?
1: Yes. Um. So my master's was in modern and contemporary fiction, which was really heavy on World War One era um, novels and poetry, which was not my favorite thing. <laughs> um, I mean, I enjoyed it, of course, but it. I was really thinking, oh, contemporary, you know, because I love new novels. I tend to read mostly new stuff, um, not a lot of classics because I did a lot of that in school. So I, I want to read the newest thing that they're talking about on the radio usually.
0: Is that what yeah. we should be looking for today?
1: Yeah, I love new books. Okay. That there's a conversation around.
0: Okay, all right. We'll do it. Graylin, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Are you ready to dive into your favorites? I am. All right. What's the first book you love?
1: So it's going to make me seem a little bit strange, but um, my first favorite is The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides.
0: Why is that strange?
1: It's so dark and just morbid, and I'm really not... Um, a depressed person. <laughs> but it is just so dark.
0: So many people love this book, though that I have never read because it sounds a little dark for me. But so right. many people I mean, love it this is book.
1: Truly, the darkest. Whenever you just give somebody the you know sales pitch, it is just like no, 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 thank you. I love the way it. It's a plural narrator, so it's narrated by a group of boys. In a neighborhood that are watching this family from afar, and I just loved the tone of it. Um, dark, you know, dark content does not scare me off at all. Um, my other favorites are a little bit dark as well, um, and I just love the way they captured this neighborhood and this fascination with a with a family. I, I can't explain. Again, I'm, I, I was nervous for the podcast because I have a hard time explaining why I like certain books. Mm-hmm. It's almost just the feeling it gives me, but also the writing. The writing is really important to me. Dialogue is really important to me. And that book just, I'll never forget it. I read it the first time when I was in high school. And I actually ended up writing my master's dissertation on, on that book. Really? Did you have to yes. pick a specific topic? Um I I did. I actually wrote wrote it on that book and two others but it was about um suburban living in three novels. So um what the 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 subdivision or the suburban life does to your psyche as far as um living your life on a stage when you you know when you exit your home you're very visible. And so in The Virgin Suicides all these boys are kind of staring at this house. As if it's a a play. I just love it.
0: (laughs) What were the other two books in your dissertation?
1: The the next one was Revolutionary Road by Richard Uh Yates, which is also very, very depressing. (laughs) (laughs) If you've seen the movie with um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Um, And then J.G. Ballard. Uh, it's a little bitty skinny book that's out of print called Running Wild. Um, it's very very strange. I actually found it. <laughs> I found it in a library when we were li- uh, my husband and I were living in Norway, and I, they had the best public library ever. Of course they would, and it was just this little bitty book, and I checked it out on a whim, and it was just one of my favorite things. So. What
0: What do you mean? Of course they would. Does Norway have a reputation for having excellent libraries?
1: Excellent public services of all kinds. Oh, okay. Now that I
0: knew. I'm glad it extrapolates to libraries. Yes,
1: exactly. And so I mean their English language section was so massive. That was my
0: next question. Yeah. If you could actually read any of the books yes. in this great library.
1: Yes. It was oh, it was fantastic. I missed that library.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Once <laughs> yeah. you experience I mean, I hear this from listeners and readers uh-huh. all over the globe. Like once you experience a wonderful library system, it's really hard to go back. It's
1: very difficult. And luckily here in Harrison County, we have a fantastic library because we have the the casino boat. Is
0: it because of tax dollars?
1: (laughs) Yes. So we have the, um, the casino, which is technically in Harrison County. It's right next to the county line with Floyd County. But a lot of that Money comes back to us, and our libraries are beautiful. (laughs) I had
0: no idea.
1: Yes, and um, I just like you'll go in. I remember a couple weeks ago, I went in, and The Mothers by Britt Bennett was just sitting there, which I was
0: just thinking you have got to read if you love. Right,
1: I did. I read Divergent sides.
0: Okay, just because of the narration.
1: Yes, I did. That's what got me to read it when um, I heard it described. I was like, oh, I have to read that. But, yeah, it's just sitting there on the shelf, you know, with no wait list or anything. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, I'm very lucky. I know. Graylin, what's book two? Okay. um, Book two is – it's a cheat. It's actually four books, but I consider it one big book. And it's the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante. I know these can be kind of – some people are either, you know, 100% on board or – Not at all. And I can understand why you would not like them for sure. I mean, I totally get that because it is a thousand plus pages of, you know, Italian drama as far as the political history and that kind of thing. But mainly interactions between two women that have a fairly toxic friendship.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, a good way to put it.
1: Yes. But I just I have never seen a book that is so tightly composed where the last few pages answer all the questions you had in the first few pages. It is just so complete. When I finished the last one, I thought that is the most complete Look at two people I have ever read, just the ins and outs of their friendship and the twists and turns are just so rounded, and the dialogue's so wonderful. the translator i don't i mean I don't know how that translator did it. You can't even tell the book is written in a different language and then translated. It's unbelievable,
0: okay. I'm asking yeah. a question that's going to be difficult to answer spoiler free, but I know you can do it okay. How did you feel about the last book, and especially the resolution or
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I've had many discussions with my mother, who's a big reader, and my sister-in-law, and we've all read them, and we we've had many debates about the last few you know pages. Um, I I loved it, and I thought it told you everything you needed to know about the friendship, and who had the upper hand the whole time. Yeah, I really loved the ending. Uh, I know it was a little ambiguous, but for me, the way I've decided to interpret it, it's very final.
0: <laughs> the way I've decided to interpret <laughs> yes, it. Yeah. I like that. I do. <laughs>
1: because I think you could, you, there's a couple different ways you could look at it. And I've decided to look at it one way and it makes me love the books even more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I didn't love mm-hmm. book four.
1: Right. Book I felt, four... That's the
0: one where I felt the most like, okay, well. Yeah. The, I was intrigued by the be- by the beginning but it was slow of the series <laughs> but then the end i was like ready to move on to the next thing <laughs> let's
1: just yes, wrap it up I here de- i definitely felt like okay i'm done with these people mm-hmm. you know after <laughs> i finished the fourth one i i do not want anything more out of those characters or that story um i i had i struggled with the second one in some places but the fourth one is i read it really quickly because i just wanted to get done Mm -hmm. and so i wish i would have maybe gone a little bit slower with it
0: but you're not going to revisit it probably is what i'm no uh,
1: i don't think so no i don't think so i i'm not a big rereader okay i do not reread stuff usually
0: okay well it's hard to keep up with the new stuff and read the old
1: right right unless it's um children's books i reread you know over and over and over i love over over and over again yeah okay graylin what's book three Book three is, again, I cheated, <laughs> um, and I said any book by Ian McEwen, but I did pick out a couple. Um, Enduring Love, which was one of his earlier books, and it is a book about a rather disturbing incident, uh, again, um, a bol- hot air balloon accident. Have you read this book?
0: No. I didn't know he had right. a book about a hot air balloon accident. I think yeah. I've probably read half his works.
1: Okay. I I love him. I read every single book that he he writes the minute it comes out and they as he as they've gone on they've gotten way more um, mainstream a little bit easier to handle in the beginning they were very very dark and out there Um, but this one was probably the best example of an unreliable narrator i've ever seen you really didn't know what to believe the whole way through and it's about obsession and a stalker and a hot air balloon accident and a marriage. And <laughs> I don't know why I like it again, but I just absolutely couldn't put it down. And I got it again from the same library when we were living in Norway. I would have never picked it up otherwise. Oh,
0: interesting. Graylin, what are
1: you reading right now? I am reading A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Hmm.
0: Yeah. And how's but- it going?
1: I'm loving it. I am about to finish it. I thought it dragged in the middle pretty bad. I I had a hard time in the middle. I was getting really just bogged down. Where is this going? And then it picked back up again. But I loved Rules of Civility so much that I had to get my hands on it the minute I finished it. Yes. It was a little –
0: it wasn't what I expected, A Gentleman in Moscow. And I ended up really liking it, but it felt like – You were in the mood for tacos and you were presented with this amazing, I want to say steak, but I don't want to offend all the vegetarians. You're presented with this amazing (laughs) Korean food that you love, but you weren't ready for. That's how I I felt.
1: Yes. I understand completely. And um, I feel the same. I'm enjoying it, but I do not like it in the same way that I did Rules of Civility. I think it's very different for sure.
0: It is very different, but Mm -hmm. I do love that you picked it in- Mm -hmm. Light of Your Love for Eloise, because yes. Angel Told very consciously <laughs> put his own Eloise in the Metropol Hotel. Should we talk about this book? This yes. is a book yes. where a Russian count is sentenced by the Bolsheviks to, I, what's the word that modifies confinement?
1: Um, house arrest? Yes, or... house yeah. arrest okay.
0: for the rest of his life in a luxury hotel, which, hey. uh, I mean, that's quite <laughs> a beginning, but it turns out this yeah. happened. 70 years ago. And so there's this, there's this little girl who enters the scene and probably is about the point where it injected new life into the story for you.
1: Yes. And, um, yeah, I love it. I actually haven't thought of the comparison to Eloise, but that is so perfect. That is, yes, very true. (laughs) And again, like his, like his other book. And it's so crazy because I've been reading for a while and, you know, he just, this guy came out of nowhere more tolls. So these are his only two books. Even
0: weirder, he came out of investment banking.
1: Yes. And yes. I, I just it's so sh- crazy because his writing is unbelievable. I I really just don't even know where it's coming from. The dialogue I, in Rules of Civility, I felt like I could just underline and highlight so many things.
0: Well, this was a Modern Mrs. Darcy book club. September mm-hmm. pick so I've wa- we couldn't get Amor to join us because the book was new when he was on book tour <sighs> the nerve um, yeah. <laughs> but I watched a whole lot of YouTube videos and written interviews okay. with him and he said that um here's why rules of civility was so good those were not his words he was much more modest about it right. he actually right. seemed like a genuinely nice guy you'd want to <laughs> have a drink with
1: mm-hmm. watching
0: him speak about his book wearing you know jeans and a scruffy beard right he said he spent seven years perfecting a novel. And I was like, oh, that's the story of rules of civility. Um, but yeah. seven years, many, many hours writing a novel while he was still full-time investment banking and trashed it eventually at the end. Said this is untenable. But he said that was his MFA. And then Uh. he started Rules of Civility. Okay, I do want to get a little nerdy and point something out to you that I did not notice while reading the book, but think is really cool now as I go back and flip through it. I forget where he said he came up with the idea, but he gave the book a really unusual structure. So if you go back and flip through the book, well, first of all, all the chapters start with the letter A, not for any reason other than he thought it might be kind of fun and challenging and, you know. Okay. Like naming yeah. chapter titles is excruciating. Right. Let's put a yeah. little bit of a game into it. So from the day the count get, gets arrested, the chapters go, he calls it a doubling principle. So you see him one day after arrest, two days after, five days after, 10 days after, three weeks, six weeks, three oh. months, six months, <gasps> one year, two years, four years, eight years, and 16 years. And then you go backwards. Oh, wow. Right? I
1: have not noticed that at all.
0: I wouldn't tell that to very many people, but yeah. you have a master's degree in yeah. contemporary modern literature. So
1: I'm subjecting <laughs> you to it. Yeah, that's so cool. But, I, I have not even noticed that at all. Well, I mean, I guess you, I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but.
0: Um, nobody I've had this conversation with has noticed, Right, but none of us have a master's degrees right. in literature, I don't think, <laughs> yeah.
1: um, but he I, said
0: that way you get to focus in depth on getting him oriented.
1: Wow. And getting
0: him out of the story with the big denouement. And you can skip 16 years in the middle.
1: Right. Because I'm at the point where it has skipped a bunch. And I remember thinking last night as I was reading, wow, they skipped a bunch. But I'm kind of glad they did because they skipped the really, um, you know, the really dark war years. Yeah. Which I was just like, oh, I can't do another World War II book right now. (laughs) Um,
0: I was wondering how they were gonna handle that and they they skipped it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they and I was so glad, but I didn't actually think about it. But yeah, I was so glad that they just skipped over it. When I saw nineteen forty six is the nest the next time I was really relieved. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I am on board (laughs) with this plan. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, graylin we've touched on this a little, but is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Or anything you want more of as you move into this new reading season?
1: I would like to read more nonfiction. I, um, I neglect it terribly. I really do. I always have, I've always just been fiction, fiction, fiction. I did better this year than I have in previous years. And I really made an effort to read a couple, but I would like to read some nonfiction that's not even necessarily, um, brand new, you know, I would be willing to read older things in that genre. Mm-hmm. And also, I need to get away from food books. Because, <laughs> because if I do read any nonfiction, it's always about food. It's okay. always either a food memoir or, you know. And so I need to kind of like, all right, leave that alone. You listen to enough food podcasts and read enough food books. That's enough.
0: Okay. So, nonfiction is. I actually, I wonder if it's half the books published or how fiction and nonfiction splits out, but regardless, (laughs) that's a massive category. What kind of nonfiction are you looking for?
1: Not necessarily memoir because I I've done some of that and I'm a little tired of that. I'm really burnt out on the funny, um, essays from either female comedians or, uh, actresses. I I've read all those and I really loved um, Jesse Klein's book this year. Mm-hmm. He'll grow out of it. That mm-hmm. was my favorite one probably of all of them besides Tina Fey's book. But I'm I'm done with those. Um, I would like maybe some historical stuff or um, I don't even science. I you know I don't like books about science or research based books. I just don't even bother with and I feel like I need to more. Okay.
0: Okay. Noted. Yes. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back to talk about your hate. Okay. Graylin, what's a book that you didn't love? Aggressively didn't love.
1: Right. Um, I notice a lot of the guests say they kind of have a hard time. I do not have a hard time picking a book I hated. I tend to hate a lot of stuff.
0: Why do you think it um, is? That is it because you have specific taste? Is it because you take a chance on a lot of new books I I that you don't a know? I take a chance on
1: a lot of new books, exactly. I think I listen on, to something on NPR and I go get it right away mm-hmm. and try it. And I find a lot of times we we've been uh, joking in my book club. I'm in a book club with my mother and my mother-in-law who that was started 20 years ago by my grandmother, this book club. Oh, fun. I know it's, it's really just the best. Oh, I just love it. It's just the best thing ever. But I kind of have this role in our book club as the member who reads all of the popular literary (laughs) fiction that's (laughs) on NPR and then hates it. (laughs) So, um, My book that I picked is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. I was so mad at this book, but I finished it. I listened to it and read it at the same time. So Uh that could have something to do with it. Audiobook, the reader makes a big difference as far as if you like it or not, for sure. For sure. Yeah.
0: Okay. So this came out maybe, I think in the fall, 2015? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it's a book about a marriage, told from two perspectives, yes. which is fun. It does something interesting with the narration. Very, Not yes. likable characters.
1: <laughs> no. uh,
0: won a ton of awards. Yes. Okay, so. Which I don't
1: understand. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. I found the dialogue to be utterly unbelievable. But, and also, there were some of the worst love scenes I've ever read in this book. <laughs> okay, um, now. I, That part, the the
0: squirm factor was pretty high
1: for me. It was really high for me. I just, I was laughing. And I remember I was sending quotes from the book to my mother on email and just laughing. Like, (laughs) I can't believe this book is one of the awards that it has. Yes, it's an interesting structure, but the writing I just thought was not there.
0: Interesting. I started this book got maybe a third of the way into it, put it down, and then started talking to friends who'd read it and who talked about it in their book clubs. And that convinced me to give it another try because I realized that because of the way the book is told, it doesn't alternate chapters. You get the husband's story for more than 50% of the book, and only then do you flip to the wife's story. And I felt like I hadn't really genuinely tried it because I'd only read, you know, I'd read a third of the book, but I'd only experienced maybe a tenth of it just because of the way it was written. And so that compelled me to pick it up and give it another try. And it's been, I think it's been a love on the podcast. I can't remember it being yes, a hate, but I've... we'll tell you in show notes. Right. I didn't adore it and let like, go singing its praises from the rooftops, but I did appreciate it. And the more I read about it, the more I really admired what Lauren Groff had done with her character. Definitely. Like, I, felt...
1: I, yes, yes. I found it to be very unbelievable. And also one, one more thing about it that really sticks out for me is that I don't know if it was just too close to Gone Girl as far as in just, it's the past couple of years. Uh, I found it to be pretty similar in a lot of ways where it's this marriage that is two people that are very unlikable and it's highly unbelievable what's happening, at least to me. I, I just can't relate.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. That <laughs> The problems
1: that they're having
0: never crossed my mind.
1: Right, but I see what yeah. you're saying. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, Graylin, I have ideas for you. That nonfiction that... is kind of throwing a wrench in my plans here, but <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out right after the break. Graylin, welcome back.
1: Yes, hi.
0: All right, let's talk about your books. Okay. I don't have terribly much to add beyond what you said explicitly. Like, you like to read modern contemporary fiction, the kind they talk about on NPR. Well, that's not fair. Historical is fine, but you want to read the stuff that was published this month or this year, not in
1: 1972.
0: Yes. You're looking for good writing, and you don't mind high style.
1: Right, exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. So I kind of feel like I could just send you to the new release shelf at the bookstore and you'd be good, but there's a lot to choose from.
1: Oh yeah. So we're going to try to narrow it down. Okay.
0: Okay. What do you know about the Guinevere's by Sarah Domet?
1: I know nothing. Oh,
0: excellent. Okay. So this was a big pick this fall. It came out October 4th. It's a Flatiron Books novel, I think, which publishes a lot of hot contemporary fiction and not just mm-hmm. fiction but a lot a lot of that kind of thing uh, literary fiction and Sarah Domet is a fellow I believe she's a I think she has an MFA what I'm I've saying I've never is, even heard of her well this is her debut and oh, that's okay. so but what I'm saying is she's a woman after your own heart yes and this novel even though I've never read The Virgin Suicides I knew enough about The Virgin Suicides to recognize as I was reading it wait a second The story sounds <laughs> a little bit familiar It has a really cool cover too. So it's very eye catching.
1: Oh, that's always good.
0: Okay. So this story is about, and you just have to go with it. It's about four girls who live in a convent who all Mm -hmm. for various reasons have the name Guinevere. And of course they don't all go by Guinevere. Like you have a win and a Jenny and it's been a few months since I've read it. So I don't remember exactly, but you can Mm -hmm. keep them apart. So they are confined within the convent walls with, the very beginning of the book they're trying to break out and like go <laughs> go free like there's yeah. a there's a parade and they're like hiding under the the float from there. catholic current,
1: church current time current day no because
0: as the plot goes on after they unsuccessfully try to break out of the convent at this parade they are sentenced to work in the sick ward at the convent to um do their penance and Mm. that's where they are each tasked with caring for soldiers from the war all they call it is the war the men have been injured and they aren't they aren't each individually assigned a soldier but they each assume care for a soldier and they're dealing with like the social dynamics within the convention and the Mm. dreams they have of these soldiers and what the possibility of life outside the content might be like. And they, as they get to know a couple people within the convent, especially a priest, those characters take on a very human dimension and Got not it. just the cardboard yes. father figure, you know, literally father right. figure. It is dark.
1: <laughs> That's it's <okay>. not
0: <laughs> super, super dark, but it is dark. It's new. It's engaging. Awesome. And I, I think with your take I mean I've recommended it hesitantly to some people, but there's no hesitation for you. I think this sounds no, like no,
1: I mean anything's fair game, yeah.
0: How does that sound?
1: That sounds great. That sounds great. And it never actually says when it takes place. It's just the war.
0: It quite possibly does. Right. I I imagine it being in the forties because okay. of context. But if cool. I pick if I picked it up again, I might be greatly embarrassed to see to well, see you that know, I just told you fine. that on, on a recorded podcast. Totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Book two is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. What do you know about this?
1: I wanna say I've seen it or heard of it, but then again, I know nothing. <laughs>
0: It is so. getting a lot of advanced buzz. So yeah. where we sit now, it's not available yet. But by the time okay. everybody's listening, it will be. The pub date is February 7th, 2017. Okay. This is a big, fat historical novel by the author of Free Food for Millionaires, which is a great okay. title, right? Yes. So Her debut was about... Korean Americans living in New York. So in the second novel, it's also about her Korean heritage. And she goes all the way back in the beginning of her book to the time when Japan annexed Korea in 1910. So as the story opens, there is a ton of tension between our oh, well tension is tension that erupts into outright conflict between mm-hmm. her the Koreans that she really has her heart behind here and their Japanese aggressors like on the large scale you know the nations but also on the small scale the individuals in the story i think the opening paragraph says something like history has failed us but no matter so <laughs> we follow um a family especially a young girl through generations as they learn to deal with the hand fate has dealt them. And I know that sounds super Mm -hmm. cliche and it is, (laughs) you know, it's uh, if there are only like three plots to fiction, like right. it, this is one, of them. one of them. You can see yeah. what category that this goes in. Um, it's definitely it's epic. It's sweeping. It's um gently old fashioned. But the storytelling is really good. It's really right. wise. Um, sometimes with historical novels, I think like oh yeah 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 we're dealing with the history. Let's let's get right. on with it. I never felt that with this book.
1: And oh, great.
0: oddly, have you ever read Ursula Under by Ingrid Hill?
1: I have not.
0: Okay, it's not new but yeah. I think you might find that interesting because of the way they do the narration. There's an omniscient narrator who can draw all these fascinating connections between the characters. I love that. Yes.
1: yes. Well, historical fiction is not something that I gravitate towards naturally, but I tend to enjoy it when I read it. So for instance, if our book club has a, you know, a selection that's historical fiction, I'll be reluctant to read it, but then I really, really enjoy it. So that's, This is perfect.
0: That's interesting that you say that because the Neapolitan novels, Rules of Civility, The Gentleman in Moscow are all historical. This one, I'm trying to put my finger on why, but this one, even though the narration is very straightforward, it reminded me so much of Ursula Under just in tone and a little bit in setting. Although Ursula Under, I will say, dragged in places for me. And this one, I never had that issue. So just for the curious pachinko is a game that's kind of like pinball that people would Mm -hmm. bet on and it's it's a really pretty book really pretty cover um i was a little put off by the length when i when it was time to decide like what am i gonna read next because this is nearly 500 pages but it's not past it but it goes it goes really fast and it's possible my edition no. I was gonna say it's possible my edition is a little long or seems long, but like mm-hmm. the page count is four ninety six. So I think I'm just trying to
1: yes. <laughs> make it sound <laughs> well I'm, that's that's a good thing. I tend to go towards short books. So I I've the I've the past few books I've read, I've been trying to read longer things because I tend to go for short, short, short.
0: And the longer you're reading your current book, the longer you can put off deciding what you should read
1: next. Exactly.
0: It doesn't feel like a bad thing sometimes. So that yeah. sounds like a win for you?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. And so for book three, we're going to go with a little bit of an offbeat pick. Okay. Since you love Tolls, I was reminded of when we were researching all that stuff for the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, the books that inspired Tolls when he was writing A Gentleman in Moscow and also Rules of Civility in some cases, just his favorite books. And I... He recommended a book that sounded fascinating to me that I picked up because of this. And it's nonfiction, and it's quirky, and it's interesting and easy to read a little bit at a time, and it is most definitely not contemporary fiction. Okay. So this book is called 100 Artist Manifestos, From the Futurists to the Stuckists. It's a Penguin Modern Classic Edition. And are you familiar with Daily Rituals?
1: Yes. I've heard you talk about it, I think.
0: Okay. So that will Um, work as a leaping off point in daily rituals. Mason Curry shares, I think it's 239 literal daily rituals, the daily routines. I've been wanting to read
1: that really bad. I've been wanting to read it. Yeah.
0: Pick it up. Definitely pick it up. I always see it featured prominently at our local bookstore, Carmichael's when I'm in there. So next Mm -hmm. time you're browsing, just pick it up and start looking and you'll, I think it's uh, the kind of book that just grabs you like, Ooh, let's read another one. Let's read another one. Yeah. Yeah. So this is similar to that, except instead of daily rituals of 239 creative types, we have 100 different artist manifestos and it's a really pretty book. Like mm-hmm. each manifesto is accompanied with an introduction about the author and there are a lot of photos. So there are a hundred manifestos from the last hundred years. And just to give you an idea of who the people are, we have Kandinsky Dolly, Rodchenko, Oldenburg, Murakami, Gilbert and George, Marinetti.
1: That reminds me. Murakami is one of my favorite authors. He's in there. Um, Yes. And I wanted to put him down as favorites, but I, of course, you know, you can't. He ran out of room. Yeah, ran out of room. But I love, love, love him.
0: Okay. Well, here's what Amartol says about this book. He says, I've always loved reading manifestos. Collectively, they represent a triumph of style. With their sharp observations, sweeping assertions, and tireless self-assurance, they march us towards some inescapable yet elusive conclusion, propelling us with their internal urgency towards something new. So Amartol's recommends. What do you think?
1: Oh, I think that sounds fabulous.
0: All right. Bonus pick, Daily Rituals. I think you'll enjoy yes. it. Yes. Okay, Graylin, of those three picks, what do you think you'll read next?
1: I think I will go for the nonfiction pick in the manifestos. That sounds wonderful.
0: Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Yes. Thanks so much for talking books with me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Graylin today. You can connect with her on her website, graylinporter.com and on Instagram at Graylin S. Porter. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Graylin should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 65. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Bogle and at what should I read next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Roca said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.